0: thank you Pete you know it's been a it's been a kind of a unique privilege to walk with Pete in the last few years as he wrestled through these these issues of weight and obviously you know what's kind of interesting to look at that picture is it's it's a physical representation Of what spiritual change is about. And I mean that. It's a physical representation of what spiritual change is about. there'd There'd be some stories in here of people who have undergone that kind of dramatic change, but it wasn't about physical weight. It was about personality struggles. It was about aspects of character that have been in a person's life. But I appreciate what Pete shared is is this is not a man standing up here today to share the testimony of a really great diet plan although what he did involved changing his diet you know we live in physical bodies but we are spiritual beings and so much of what's happening in our lives that are that is physical in nature has its origins in something that's spiritual, something in the matter of our soul that's going on in us. And So what Pete's experience has been these last few years has is, is not just been some physical dimension of his life. It really has been a man who's wrestled with spiritual issues in his life. And um, we see the, the fruit of that in his life. And, and Pete, what I, I want to just highlight of appreciating is... Uh, Watching, you know, somebody who's gone through that much change, it, it can really become an opportunity for strange operations of pride in people. Um, well, if you encounter Pete in this category, you don't count, encounter a man who's, who's prideful. As a matter of fact, if you didn't know him previous to his size, you probably wouldn't even hear him talk about it in a way that is promoting, except if something from his experience could help you. It wasn't long until after Pete had experienced God in some ways that that he came and met with me, and we talked about he had a burden, you know, how would you feel about me trying to put something together for folks who are struggling in this area, and that's, you know, we ended up with this program that Pete really put together called Faith-Filled Fitness, Uh, the way the all the weight stuff has, has been a real huge help because Pete's been eager to serve others with what he's experienced, and so, bro, I, I just, I'm grateful for the way in which you've walked out, encountering God in this way. It's it's had a huge impact on a lot of people. Oh. Uh. I wasn't sure if these guys would be here, but some of my favorite people in the universe are here with us this morning, and that would be the Adamek family. Where are you guys at? Adamex, Adamex. stand up. What's the matter with you? Your legs don't work? Oh. <laughs> uh. If you don't know the Adam X, they are commanded to stay around here until the doors are shut and no one's here after service for people to hug on them. They are our dear friends and missionaries to Mexico who are down there serving an orphanage and serving children and a community there. Uh, Please get a chance to connect with them uh, if they've got time after the service a little bit they're, they're living in a tough spot these days it's it's not an easy thing to be in the murder capital of the planet just outside of Juarez Mexico uh, there's there's probably places you can almost be in any place in Afghanistan and be safer uh, so you don't quite get the press that you're hearing but it's it's a difficult place to live right now and yet that's where these guys are, and walking out, trusting God. Uh, so I'm grateful to get a chance to have them in our midst, uh, back home. It still is home. Don't forget that. <laughs> uh, well, this morning is a little bit of an unusual message because it's, it's not as expository as we normally preach. We normally preach from passages in the Bible and bring those passages into the realm of our lives. And so today is a little bit backwards. I'm going to start in the realm of our lives and we're going to find our way toward the Bible. Um, but I do have to start at least with a passage, so since I'm going to do that. Ephesians chapter 5 just kind of informs you, why, you know, why are we going after this message today? Well, it's because the Bible says things like this. In Ephesians 5 verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. This is why I'm preaching this message this morning. Because the Bible puts us in tune with realities that there, there is things going on in our day that require us to acquire wisdom for that day. Not every day is the same. Not every season of your life is the same. Not every day in your existence on this planet is the same. When you stop noticing that, you put yourself in harm's way ignorantly. You begin to live in environments and in places that you don't realize what's happening to you. So this is a call for wisdom. This is a call for us really today, uh, I hope, is an opportunity for as, as, as your pastor to let you know, you know we, we spend time paying attention to the land in which you live as to whether you know, what you're eating, what, what's, what's the grazing quality of life around us as a, as a group of sheep together, and there would be some real concerns in the age in which we live, in some of the things that we see around us. Now, what I'm going to spend a lot of time this morning doing, a lot of time, I'm going to digest I don't know how many hours of study and reading and try and do that in a brief time as much as possible, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to analyze a bunch of things, in the hope that the Holy Spirit will lead you to apply them wisely in your life. What I am not going to do this morning, although we're going to follow up on this a bit, what I'm not going to do this morning is create rules for you. Now, if you're a rule person, you might walk away thinking that I'm creating rules for you. That's why the first thing I'm going to say to you is, I am not creating rules for you. If you feel some yanking thing going on on the inside of you, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. If you feel backhanded at some moment in the message, uh, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. My job is simply analysis today. And wisdom... This is going to sound sort of postmodern, but wisdom was around before postmodernism was around. Wisdom cannot be handled with rules. Because what's wise for one person might not be wise for another. For one person to be protected, for instance, from a bad decision, that person might need to make that decision at this point in their life and at this distance from sin. But somebody else could be wise in making it at this point in their life and at this distance from sin. Now, we all might agree that that's sin, but how one gets around sin, where you let your life go, could very much be a matter of wisdom, and that wisdom is not only based in objective truths about sin, but it's based in subjective realities about you. there's some guys here this morning that you have, a, you have a history in some areas that you ought never, ever be in a bar room ever in your life. Okay, Keith, are you making a rule? No, you ought to be making that rule. Wisdom should be causing you to say, I, I don't do that. But biblically, you don't have any grounds to make that a rule for everybody else. All right, so you might hear a little bit of how this subject has interacted with me today. I'm trying not to make it too much about me. Um, and there may be some things that I need to adjust in the patterns and ways in which I live my life. I don't know that I'll share much of that today. I might, I might not. But you need to listen for you. And if the Holy Spirit begins to say, hmm, you need to do differently in that category. Okay, I'm not making a rule for you. And don't you go making a rule for everybody else. Listen for wisdom. The Holy Spirit leads you. He loves you. He wants your life to be fruitful and flourishing. And you might need to make some adjustments today. This is a, probably a few messages that we'll end up doing, I think, called Discipleship in the Digital Age. Um, let me start with my own... Situation. My, where this began for me is in a quest for memory and a concern for discipleship. So over the years, this has traveled in my heart. This is—I've been looking at some of these issues for years. Where that began was for me several years ago. Is in a concern for. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say this, and you're going to laugh, and I'm not trying to be funny. Um, a concern from my brain, okay? Um, Yeah, I I knew you'd laugh. Uh. (laughs) Um, A number of years ago, I I just began to notice that my brain, my memories in particular were just interacting with life differently. And I find myself over the last several years, but just even... You know, recently, I, I, I think this was worse for me about a year and a half ago. I think I've seen slight difference that I would say is improving, but I, I don't really know. I don't understand what's happening in my head. Um, I can stand, for instance, just the other day, I stood with my wife and looked at a picture that's on the refrigerator, right next to the refrigerator, and it's a picture of our family at the beach. I cannot remember anything about that event. I don't remember taking that photo I don't remember what was going on there. I don't remember whether we just got off of a boat on fire. I don't remember anything about it. And so she's trying to explain to me, yeah, you set the camera up, you put it on an ice chest. It's like, really? Uh, I had a conversation with a friend the other day. He's trying to tell me about a conversation we had about a year ago. Nothing. I don't remember anything. He starts leading me into the conversation, giving me bits and pieces. Slowly, eventually, something begins to return, and I remember a few pieces uh, of those things. I can be, the staff guys have just got to be frustrated as all get out sometimes. Somebody that I have known for 15, 20 years in the church, and I'm trying to tell them something about what's going on. Every piece of data about them, but their name, is available to me. So I'm giving height descriptions, where they went to college, where they're from, how many children they have, the, what diseases they had five years ago. Everything but their name. I can't get their name to come to me. I, I'm labeling this condition brain blur. Uh, and this is, this is how I've illustrated it lately. I tell people, uh, I feel like in my head what's going on is all the experiences and memories of life used to be like leaves on a tree. So you had this trunk of a tree and branches and you had all these green leaves all over the place. So if somebody were to say something about family and vacation and blah, 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 it's like my mind could run up the trunk, down the branch, it's about family, off into another side shoot about vacations and locate that memory, that conversation. Now... I feel like somebody picked a tree up by its trunk and did this with the leaves. Just pulled them all off the branch, threw that away, and now it's like this room has got a fan blowing in it, and there's leaves flying everywhere. And so somebody says something about an event in my life, and I just kind of go, it's like I don't know where to find it. It's like I can't locate that data. Uh, If you give me a little bit of help, you know, I can sort of get there eventually. Listen, I could... I could know you in this church for the last 20 years, and I could see you in the foyer today, and just go blank on your name. All right. I no, I I don't go blank in messages. That's why we take so long here. But uh, maybe you should be praying for that. Maybe you just be praying that. Why don't you start forgetting like half of your message on a Sunday morning? <laughs> um, as I started to look at this a number of years ago one of the things I came across was how, how we handle information in the growing information age and one of the things that was commented on was how we are sort of outsourcing our memory we're outsourcing our memory to palm devices back then cell phones didn't do much but make phone calls back then but palm devices held all of our contacts It held our schedules. Uh, I remember getting to a point for me that, you know, more and more stuff was being put into my palm device. But what I needed the palm device to do, this is how I bought the right device. I needed the palm device to make a noise to remind me to look at it. Because I could just put all this stuff in and then forget to look at the device and therefore miss a meeting because I just forgot to check it out. So whether I bought that device was based upon whether or not it could jerk my chain and tell me, remind me, to look at stuff. Now, years ago, that's not how you handled information. Right? I mean, you wrote down a, an appointment and you kept the appointment. Right? Your dentist gave you a little card with the little appointment thing on it. Do you, know, you didn't miss those appointments, you made the appointment. Somehow we managed to remember things. But, but over time, we've outsourced all kinds of memory issues. Well, as I've been reading and studying, and there's a lot of quotes here today, a fellow named Nicholas Carr, and just recently I read this article Is Google Making Us Stupid? Highly recommend you Google that and go have a look at this article. (laughs) I'm surprised Google lets it come up, actually, when you Google it. Here's what he said. He said, over the past few years, I've had an uncomfortable sense that someone or something has been tinkering with my brain, remapping the neural circuitry, reprogramming the memory. My mind isn't going, so far as I can tell, but it's changing. I'm not thinking the way I used to think. Right now, I read this guy's quote, and I said, who are you? I want to meet you. That's exactly how I feel. And then the more I explored studying this over the last several months, you'd come across these interesting articles and books. Look in your outline there. The Overflowing Brain, Information overflowed, and the Limits of Working Memory. One book I looked at more carefully, Brain, Surviving the Technological Alteration of the Modern Mind, Distracted, the erosion of attention and the coming dark age. Grown-up digital. Media unlimited. The soul in cyberspace. Sim church. Texting generation doesn't share boomers' taste for talk. Right, now, this is going to become significant. I'm going to go back to this maybe next week or so as we look at how do these sorts of issues affect discipleship. i right, got a lot of people who don't like to have human contact anymore. I don't want to talk. Let me just text you something. Let me make it brief, and I don't want to interact with you. You can be, you know, just pick the phone up and call me. No, I'd rather wreck the car. (laughs) Just say, you know, no, don't want to do that. Disconnecting distraction. How about this one? Global survey shows cell phone is remote control for life. (laughs) Right, And this is the kind of stuff that's out there. Tim Challies has, has written a, bit, uh, a book, um, The Next Story, Life and Faith After the Digital Explosion. Tim is a, is a pastor in Canada. He's, also a, he's probably more famous for being a blogger. So he's, he's interacting with the world of information on a daily, regular basis. And his book is, is excellent and helpful. I've got a lot of thoughts here for you from him today. He says, when I speak on the topic of technology to Christian audiences, this is the issue more than any other that they have questions about. Why am I so distracted? Why is life suddenly moving so quickly? Why can't I think anymore? They have begun to experience the fruit of constant distraction but they don't have a theoretical or theological structure in place to make sense of how it's happening or how to respond. Their minds are scattered, and they're desperate for help. All right, now, I've been, I've been holding on. There's always inside of me, I feel like an air traffic controller sometimes when it comes to messages. There's always messages circling the airport, just dying to land in the service somewhere. Uh, This one's been circling for a long time. Why am I sharing it right now? Uh, Because because of the class that Pete just stood up here and promoted. Starting next week will be a School of the Word class. It's going to involve really three important dynamics that are really normal in the Christian life, right? There will be Bible teaching, there will be personal study, and there will be effective application, right? Now, that's the normal Christian life. Bible teaching, God gives teachers to the church. They come in the forms of pastors. Uh, They come in the form of book writers gifted to teach through that vehicle. Personal study and effective application, okay, that is the Christian life. If you do away with any of those your ability to live the Christian life will be extremely, extremely damaged. But a conversation we have been having as pastors for years is over the severe concern for the diminishing of reading and personal study taking place in the body of Christ today. Don't think that was the case as many years ago as when I was first saved, but it is becoming more and more prolific that less and less Christians spend significant time Reading personally and studying personally. You, you start developing a Christianity that's surviving on dining out. You know, the only time you do something deep is here on Sunday morning or maybe something else that you're doing during the week. But personal study is at a weak point. And now when you marry together what I'm going to share with you today about some of the information age issues, you you have a real challenge on our hands here, right? Look at this thought from Tim Challies. He says, here is one of the great dangers we face as Christians. With the ever-present distractions in our lives, we are quickly becoming a people of shallow thoughts. And shallow thoughts will lead to shallow living. There is a simple and inevitable Progression at work here. Distraction leading to shallow thinking leading to shallow living. So so where we as people who are attempting to follow God are not thinking deeply, it is showing up in our lives. We are living shallow lives. And I think if we were honest and I were to say, hey, how many of you guys would describe your life as sub-biblical? You know what I mean? It's kind of, you, see, you look in the Bible and, you know, if you look in the Bible and you're honest, you don't see perfect people. You don't see people who every day of their life, every moment of their life, they put on truth and they never fall, they never sin, they never struggle. Okay, that's not what you see when you read the Bible. But you do see truths and promises, people being changed, people being affected. You see growth, you see depth. You see that in the Bible. And now, I think a lot of Christians today would find their lives to be less fruitful than they would have hoped it would have been by now. Less victorious, circling the same issues sometimes over and over and over again for very long seasons of life, not undergoing change, not seeing faith grow towards having a deeper impact on themselves personally and on people around them, on the mission of the church. There, there would be some shallowness in our lives. Now, how many of us have recognized that maybe that shallowness of experience is directly related to the shallowness of our knowing God, the shallowness of our study of God, of our interacting with God in a meaningful, deep way. It's almost as though this, this spiritual lethargy is almost like discovering. I think, I hope what, this is what we do a little bit with this, is discover that we've got a lead poisoning problem. If you've ever had lead poisoning, uh, you, you begin to just manifest symptoms in your life. You, you don't have any ideas to why. You know, just energy levels begin to drain and maybe headaches and physical manifestations begin to come into your life. And you're looking at your life and you're like, I'm not doing anything different. I'm not eating anything different. I, I don't understand why is this physically affecting me this way. And, and then by some freak accident... Somebody scrapes the paint off your wall and notices your house is loaded with lead. And all of a sudden you realize that there's, there's an issue here that's been affecting me. Listen, I think some of what we're going to study here is like lead poisoning. There are issues going around around us that you and I don't find these major factors in our lives that are creating this lethargy spiritually. I think some of these issues are very much. So let's walk through a little section of thought here, see if I can download some study on you. The digital day of distraction, exploring the new normal in the information age. Now, anything that becomes normal is always a challenge for us to see it. It's normal, right? But it's the new normal. If you're over 40 in this conversation, you are called a digital immigrant, right? You you are a little bit challenged to play in the same land with the under 30 people. Uh, you don't quite understand some of the tech savvy kind of things. If you're if you're 39 or below, you are a digital native. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of folks here. You you cannot remember life without cell phones. You cannot remember life without a computer, personal computer. You get that's just you can't remember that. But there's a bunch of us here who are. Immigrants were having to be imported into the land of being digital. But, you know, just think with me for a second here. This is an exploration of the history of information. Just 150 years ago, <clears throat> and then this would have been true for as far back as you can remember, the fastest way to get information from point A to point B was a horse. A horse. Just 150 years. Years ago. So if, if you wanted to find out what was happening in Boston and you lived in New Orleans, as fast as a horse could get to you is how fast you could find out that information. Now can you immediately see how much information you would be likely to be dealing with in that day? And for generations as far back as you can go, the horse was the fastest way. Then along came the railroad, and it got a little faster. Then along came Morse code, and it got dramatically faster. Lines went up everywhere. It was a means of creating instant access to information, and that went on for quite a while. Then you invented things like the radio. All of a sudden, you could broadcast information from one point into a bunch of people's lives all over the place. And then the radio information gave way to a new form of information, similar to the radio, but a new form of it, the image. Man, and once TV caught on, who the heck remembered what a radio was? I mean, years ago... There's some people who would remember this. Years ago, you sat around in your house as a family and you listened to the radio. Can you imagine doing something so mundane and ridiculous now? <laughs> I think today people would rather watch a TV with no sound than listen to a radio with no picture. <laughs> right? We would become image-oriented. See, the image, images are different. Images interact with us in a very different way. So we love images. So TV dominated the landscape. Then along came the internet. Lots and lots of information now began to be available all over the place to anyone who wanted to peer into the world of information. And then information went personal. It wasn't like you had to be anywhere in particular. Right now, Most of the people in this room have a device that can put you in touch with any piece of information on the planet that you'd like to know about right now. So if you get bored, I don't know, look up herding practices in Afghanistan, you know. You could look that up right now with your device. So information began to play a totally different role in our lives. Years ago when it was horse information... The only information you were going to most likely come in contact with for months and months and months and maybe years in your life was particularly relevant information to the little bitty community that you lived in. If they published anything and posted it outside the, the general store, it was about so-and-so who died or a new business that's going to get started up or the blacksmith is doing this. You know, it was just information that was about your world, your geography, your life. But as soon as Morse came along and as soon as radio and newspapers came along, now you were able to import information. Now you could find out what was going on in somebody's life in Boston that had nothing to do with your existence whatsoever. right, now here's what that gives way to today. Information and news in our lives, it's no longer about information and news. It's about entertainment. We are now entertained by information. Our brains absorb and love information in a way that somebody 150 years ago had no idea what that would feel like. It's like a drug he didn't know anything about. And so we crave information. We love information. We love all kinds of information. We love extremely irrelevant information. We love it, right? How do I know that? because I won't give away any names, but I had people in my own house who were awake at 4 o'clock in the morning to watch two people get married in England. <laughs> I won't ask for a show of hands as to how many were joining them during that time. Those of you who had to actually go to work that day on half the amount of sleep that you normally have. It's like, why? Why? he's not even gonna be a real king one day. I mean, he can't cut anybody's head off, he doesn't ride a horse. I mean, what's so thrilling about this guy? He's like a drama thing, you know? He's not even real. He doesn't even make the rules and laws anymore. They may actually cut him out of the budget, for goodness sake, but he's royalty. It's the royal wedding. We have to watch. Why, right? And there's a world of information out there that has got nothing to do with my life or yours. But we have access to it. It's broadcast to our shorelines. And guess what? If you get around it, your brain has to interact with it. You you know, if your brain had currency, you spent something to watch that. And what did that do for you? Right? It probably had an effect on your life, right? So, Information is at a totally different posture in our lives today than it was 150 years ago. It, it is in our world differently. Be wise; cannot be ignorant about this. We have to be wise. What about how the digital day of distraction it's affecting the pace and lifestyle in the information age? Right? I'm gonna put the heading there that says "Devices, doorways, and distractions." If you go back just about 20 years ago now, I was, I was just beginning as a pastor. Um, back in that day, nearly no one had a cell phone. Just, just 20 years ago, just 20 years ago, if you had a personal computer, you were unique no one did emails. I remember when my wife was working for a company, she came home and told me about this, this thing called email. I thought it was like an inner office transfer of information kind of thing. It's kind of like, oh that's cute. What if like a digital intercom instead of going, ah oh, can you come in my office here? You know, it's like y'all type stuff to each other, oh, that's cute, honey. I had no idea what the heck an email was. You know, back then, uh, I can remember having to do research. For messages back then, and research involved scraps of articles that I would create over time. And it's some antiquated filing system where I'd come up with information about this part of life or that part of life, and I'd have to go dig through files and stacks of stuff and find some interesting quotes and thoughts that were thought provoking, or actually, God forbid, go to a library and open books and find. Ideas that were in there that would be helpful to people. You know, back then, cut and paste actually involved scissors and glue for me, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, whatever publications we were doing. You know, I was spending some time, you know, cutting clip art out and gluing it onto something, and then making Xerox copies. This this is just 20 years ago in our lives, right? So it's changed a little bit now. Now, we all have the world within arm's reach. A world of information is just a decision away for you. Smartphones, laptops, Wi-Fi you instantly have access to information, right? This, is, this has all been added to the slow process years ago of when you actually had to tune in to a newscast to hear the news, right? Remember missing the news? Oh, I missed the weather. Oh, can you imagine that? Does anybody go, oh? No, you just pull up a device, get it live, you know? Just go right now and get it on your device. You know, I think back being a kid, interacting with information, I would read the sports page. I would read the box scores from the basketball game the night before. Y'all remember box scores? You remember how boring box scores looked? Now, they weren't boring then. They just were the way in which things were. A little box with some names and some numbers written next to them in some columns. That's it. You wanted to know about the game last night, that's what you got. My boys interacting with the game last night, they've got they've got umpteen highlights, they've got commentary, they've got nba.com, they've got espn.com, they've got all kinds of information to recreate the visual effects, some of the incredible slam dunks that took place, stats, you know, I I think these people have gotten bored. Have you guys noticed that when you watch sports programming, they got a stat on everything? You know, this... Most touchdowns scored after parent died. You know, it's like, who's keeping track of this stuff? But it's, you know, it's just what you do with information. we get got information overload happening everywhere in our world. And it's, it's not just that kind of information. What about, what about friends? Right? For those of you who live in the lovely land of Facebook. Right? Do you remember what, what life used to be like? All right, here's what life used to be like. You grew up, you had your family, you saw them a lot, interacted with them a lot. You probably had two or three significant friends. If you were a real social butterfly, you had four to six significant friends that you got involved with, and you, would you saw them on weekends, maybe? If you had the four to six number, maybe every other weekend. You trafficked in the information about their life every couple of weeks at best. And then beyond that four to six, you know, if you were part of a church, you had about 60 people that if you scratched your head real hard, you could identify them by name and maybe tell me what they do for a living. But you haven't talked to them in a month because they sit on that side of the church and you sit over here. Right? That's just a few years ago. Now, we're trying to live life with hundreds of friends who are blessing you with daily updates on their trip to the toilet. Can I just break news to everybody here? Your life is not that interesting. (laughs) But we feel like, I've got to publish this. Look at that picture. I've got to publish that. We went here. I've got to publish that. And we interact with it. Now, every time you do, your brain spends some currency on that. You don't have an infinite ability, you are a limited, finite creature interacting with information. So the world around us has changed in incredible ways. Listen to this from Maggie Jackson who wrote a book called Distracted, the Erosion of Attention and the Coming Dark Age. She says, the way we live is eroding our capacity for deep, sustained, perceptive attention. Put most simply, attention defines us and is the bedrock of society. Attention is, this is a great definition, the taking possession by the mind in clear and vivid form of one out of what seems several simultaneously possible objects or trains of thought. It implies withdrawal from some things in order to deal effectively with others and is a condition which has a real opposite in the confused, dazed, scatterbrained state, which in French is called distraction. <laughs> Yet increasingly, we are shaped by distraction, The seduction of alternative virtual universes, the addictive allure of multitasking people and things, our near religious allegiance to a constant state of motion, these are markers of a land of distraction, All right? We live incredibly distracted lives. Listen to this thought from, this was just too good, this is just too real, All right? Dealing with distractions, Mr. Challey says, we hear the beep in many different contexts. Our phones beep, email beeps. Trucks beep as they back up. Washers beep when a load of clothes is clean. No matter the context, the message is always the same. Pay attention to me. Beeps always demand a response, even if the response is only to silence an irritating noise. We may need to look up from what we are doing and press a button. We may need to sprint out of the way of a moving truck. We may need to throw some clothes into the dryer. But in every case, a beep calls us to action. It calls us from one thing and to another. The beep is undiscerning and thoughtless. It calls out of sleep and reverie, out of church and school. It demands our attention as we stand vigil at the deathbed of a loved one. Every beep exacts a cost, whether the cost is simply the brief moment of distraction as our attention turns to the source of the noise or the necessity of running from imminent danger. These beeps fill our lives. Often, they run our lives. right, and this is kind of a lead poisoning issue, right? Until I just told you that, you ever pay attention to how many beeps are in your life? You have never given that a thought, have you? I became aware of beeps because I worked at McDonald's when I was in high school, and uh, I would go home at night with these freak headaches because everything was beeping at me. You had to turn this, and you had to put that in the toaster, and you had to get that off. beep, beep all night long. Now, if you walk into a McDonald's, listen. Listen for all the different beeps going on. Right, well, your life is filled with beeps. It's filled with little things that are calling out to you, telling you. You need to respond, you need to respond, you need to respond, you need to respond. It's a life full of distraction. Nicholas Carr says most of the proprietors of the commercial Internet have a financial stake in collecting the crumbs of data we leave behind as we flit from link to link. The more crumbs, the better. The last thing these companies want is to encourage leisurely reading or slow, concentrated thought. It's in their economic interest to drive us to distraction. Now the premise behind that statement, and others have highlighted the same thing, is Google doesn't want you to stay on any one page for very long. Because Google makes its money by you going to the next page, because there's advertising awaiting you on the next page. If you stay on one page, you get to see one set of advertising for a long time. They want you to move on. So the Internet is designed you to have very brief exchanges with information. Now, physiologically, what's the impact of information in our lives? Well, first, uh, we're people who have grown addicted to stimulus. We, we don't sit still very well. I think there's an interesting correlation between the rampant increase in uh, attention deficit disorder that's being discovered and talked about in the digital age. It's hard for us to slow down. We love interacting with stuff. There's something that it does to us. It feeds our brain in, a, in sort of an addictive fashion. You know, one of the analysis I saw from one of the guys uh, that was doing some studies on this was that the different way the brain processes reading versus images. And when you read your brain slowly, like building Legos, it puts the picture together for you. You're reading, bits and pieces are coming, color and texture and setting, and and so your brain is building it. Looking at images is exactly the opposite. Everything's already built, and so it's like this overload of information for you to look at, and your brain begins to take it apart and feed it to you in thoughts and impressions. So your brain begins to feel one way about print and another way about images. That's a concern, because unless you've got a really cool picture Bible, <laughs> this isn't filled with images. It's filled with reading, right? And so that's going to be a challenge to us. CNET News had an article entitled "Why Can't You Pay Attention Anymore?" New York Times had an article said, "The Lore of Data, Is It Addictive?" What about the fatigue factor? The, the writer of the book Eye Brain was a, a UCLA neurologist, and in his study, he coined a term called CPA, continuous partial attention. That people live their lives in a state of continuous partial attention. Right? We are always so we're, we're kind of always on call for our devices to interact with our world, to interrupt our world. Uh, We frequently now have a conversation with somebody that is going to be more than likely interrupted by a phone call, by a text, by an email, by some other piece of information. So in a way, the mind sort of continually is running all the time, interacting with the world around it in a way that it didn't used to do that, not quite at that level at least. Um, Studies were showing that, that people have unusual encounters with depression. That's, they're wondering whether, is this related? Is this creating sort of a brain drain on people that they get to a point where they're just kind of running out of gas? You know, just don't, they just can't keep up. Their mind's always racing. And as I was reading through some of this stuff last spring, I walk into an airport, and I don't put a percentage percentage on this, but people were either on a laptop, on a phone, or staring into their hand. You just predominantly, you just looked around. Laptop, phone conversation, or device. One after another, we are constantly interacting with information. Tim Challey says, our devices keep us in touch all day, every day. The distracted state they bring is not always incidental or accidental. The purpose of a multifunction device like the iPhone, providing a world of functions and applications, is to stop its owner whenever and wherever he is in order to pull him from one thing to the next. As soon as he takes a call, it provides him with a reminder from his calendar. And when he responds to that reminder, he receives an email. And when he replies to the email, he receives a text message. And so it goes from one distraction to the next. All right, now... If the brain actually has an influence on your level of energy, which obviously it does, right? You can, you can not be lifting bricks all day, but you can come home really exhausted, right, from using your mind. If running your machine constantly at 40 miles an hour, let's just say, rather than letting it idle down to 10 sometimes, just for just 40 miles an hour constant. Sometimes we're 70 and 80, but we're 40 miles an hour a lot. You know, how might that affect other areas of our lives? Here's here's how I'd I'd be concerned. How would it affect our relating to people? How would it affect the fact that, and this is how it affects me sometimes, that my eight-year-old wants to come report to me about something that's not in my information wheelhouse. I love information. I I am an information person. An eight-year-old isn't quite reporting on my favorite information. He is giving me slow detailed accounts of something that happened in the backyard. Now here's the problem. My mind has been running all day. I would like for you and all of humanity to leave me alone. (laughs) He's probably bumping into that at times. Because, you know, now I might be able to pull it together if my phone makes a noise and it's an email. Because that's my kind of information, you see. You know, the information age, you have noticed it's a tailor-made universe, right? You're not in love with every piece of information out there, just the kind that appeals to you. So whether it's something from work or an email or a text from a certain person or whatever it is, you're all over that. But let somebody else who you have a relationship with wash up onto your shoreline with a different form of information. How are you handling that? You just tired of interacting with people sometimes? How about the sheer fatigue factor? Right, for years, for the last several years, we've had a number of conversations as a staff about watching the church grow in people, and also, at the same time, grow in inconsistency. This has been actually one of the most consistent summers that we've ever had. But typically, we can have swings in attendance that are 150, 200 people from one Sunday to the next. We can have people that are involved. We have more and more people coming to the church, but you know what? We haven't had to bust the walls down. I know we're kind of getting crowded in here a little bit, but where are all these people at? Listen, if they all showed up on any given Sunday morning, we couldn't put them in this building. They'd be sitting upstairs and sitting out in the parking lot. But, you know, what happens on Sunday morning? All right, now be honest. What happens on Sunday morning for you? You ever get to Sunday morning and you're just tired? You're just worn out, you know? I mean, just a week has been hectic. And you just, man, got to get up can't sleep in, got to get the kids dressed, get there, I mean, it's not going to kill us if we just miss one Sunday, right, and then one, you know, that thought begins to turn into every other month, we just miss one Sunday every other month, some people miss one or two Sundays per month, that's just their pattern, have you ever stopped and think that maybe you got lead poisoning, you know, because it used to be, I mean, you just, loose us from this thought. It used to be the idea that, you know, man, the church is so busy, you know, there's so much going on in the church. Listen, if we if we get it any more simple in our formatting, we might as well just close the doors. Years ago, years ago. Not too many years ago. Some of you in the church will remember these years. Not too many years ago. There was Sunday school on Sunday morning, a Sunday morning service, a Sunday night service. At some points, we did a prayer service during the week. There was a midweek service going on. We had a lot of meetings back then. Today, there's Sunday morning, and if you manage to pull it off, a covenant group. Man, we're killing you, huh? (laughs) So when you get to Sunday morning, I can sure understand why the one thing that needs to give way in my life is the church. I need to, you know, Need to not go. Listen, have you stopped and thought? Do you have lead poisoning? Do you get to Sunday morning and your brain has been running 40 miles an hour all week long and you really are exhausted and you are craving some kind of downtime? You ever hear that word in the Bible called Sabbath? Do you realize God knew that you needed to unplug and slow down and do nothing? But see, the information age, you don't do that. If you stay home on Sunday, I bet you got the TV on. If you're a multitasker, you get the TV on. You're checking your emails and texting somebody all at the same time, (laughs) right? Your brain's still running, right? So I think it affects the way we live our lives. How about this? New meaning to a mile wide and an inch deep. The information age doesn't promote deep thinking in a few important areas. It promotes broad, shallow thinking and shallow connections. Let me just skip down to Nicholas Carr's thought here. He says, for me, if you guys would put that quote up there, I'm going to skip Tim Challey's for a moment. For me, the net is becoming a universal medium. The conduit for most of the information that flows through my eyes and ears and into my mind. The advantages of having immediate access to such an incredibly rich store of information are many. But that boon comes at a price. Media are not passive channels of information. They supply the stuff of thought, but they also shape the process of thought. And what the net seems to be doing is chipping away my capacity for concentration and contemplation. My mind now expects to take in information the way the net distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once, I was a scuba diver in the sea of words. Now, I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. Some of the studies that show how people read the internet, we get some of this from people who read our website. You don't stay on any page very long, and you don't come back to those pages either. So you skim and you think you found something, you don't come back. You just read for quick, bulleted headlines. All right, now, why is this a concern? Here's why I am concerned as a pastor. Busy. Distracted and overcrowded lives <clears throat> that are addicted to chronic stimulus and prone to shallow thinking are life environments that are hostile to discipleship. And if you want to hold on to that thought, I think each one of those issues would contribute towards creating an environment that's acidic to you and I being disciples, right, busy, distracted, and overcrowded lives. We get addicted to chronic stimulus. You pick this Bible up. It does not engage you like the Internet. It's not a Google page. It doesn't interact with you the same way. It doesn't feel the same way. If you've become addicted to image-oriented stimulus, you are going to get alienated from this book you're going to be alienated from God if you think everything needs to be swift and quick. All that I do needs to be be able to be done in a quick, efficient manner. You Realize the Bible and relating to God is not about efficiency. God's not looking to be an efficient connection for you in your life. I appreciated the word that Phil had earlier. God's call for us to pray is is a call, an invitation to relate to him. If you've prayed ever as a Christian, you know prayer is not like a vending machine experience. You come in, pump your nickels in, press a button, and within 30 seconds, you can be done with that exchange. You're going to encounter a God who's more than willing, more than willing for you to sit and wait as to when and how he will show up, how he will answer you. Because there's some value in what's happening to you while you're sitting still. And you and I live in a culture doesn't want to sit still, doesn't like to sit still. Listen, just 20 years ago, you sat still differently than you do now. 150 years ago. Listen, listen I've told you guys this story before. Whenever I have traveled from the pace of life, from the addictive interaction with stuff and activity that our lives afford us, to third world countries, more than one occasion, I can stand in a village in Mexico and look at their lifestyle. It's slowness. They have no idea what's going on around them. They don't know whether a hurricane's about to hit. They don't know anything. There's no phone lines running into their... They live 15 miles from the nearest town. Life is so slow. I look at that and I go, my skin would crawl to live here. (laughs) I would go nuts living in this environment. Why? Because I'm kind of addicted to information. I'm addicted to this pace of life that we've created. How many of you are realizing that the pace of life we're creating might not be real conducive for your relating to God, for your study of Him? Whether it's just because you're chronically tired, and who can pick pick up a book and read it, pick the Bible and read it when I'm tired? Or the fact that if you're a young person and you're used to stuff that's image oriented and you pick the Bible up, it seems so boring. You get lead poisoning. The day we start thinking this is boring, we are out of touch. Listen to this thought. I'm going to stop here. I'm not going to try and do the rest of this outline. Tim Challey says, if we are distracted people, a distracted society, it stands to reason that we would also be a distracted church, a church with a diminished ability to think deeply, to cultivate concentration, to emphasize slow, deliberate, thoughtful meditation. Christians may be excited about God, but because they have become a product of the digital world, they have a diminished ability to think deeply about Him, to truly know Him as He is. More and more of us are finding that we just can't stop long enough to read. We can't sustain our attention long enough to study. We can't find the time to meet with our Father. Where prayer used to be the first activity of the day, we now begin our daily routine by checking email. Where the Bible used to be a special book we read and studied, now it's an e-book that competes with our voicemail, text messages, emails, and the ever-present lure of the Internet. what I'm not going to do this week is try and do the rest of this message. I'll come back to it next week. But if you just glance at where this goes next, here is the epicenter for the Christian life. Right here, I call it the fuel of Christianity. It's the air you breathe. The air, the most basic, fundamental aspect of being a Christian, being created by God in the universe is knowing God. Everything else dresses itself up after that, whether it's church attendance, uh, aspects of holiness, behavior, all those things are secondary to the basic thing of knowing God. Are you about knowing God? Fundamental to knowing God is knowledge of God, knowledge that has to be acquired, knowledge that will need a time slot. It will need a space in our lives. It will need to be made room for. Right, you know, Pete shared about his experience of growth and change, the book that I hope everyone is going to participate in in this class. You can change, excited about that study, it is very helpful. It's very focused. It's going it's to touch aspects of your life in a meaningful, helpful, step by step way. Aspects that you could right now sit in your head and say, you know what, I've struggled in this area for as long back as I remember. Great. Pick that area. Pick that area and see if the next seven weeks you can't bring the Word of God by biblical teaching from the book and from the class, by personal study. And by effective application in your life. And see some things change in your life. But on your way to change, here's what you can't do. You can't just decide to grow. I'm going to grow. I'm going to decide this morning to grow spiritually. I'm going to grow. Well, congratulations. What the heck does that mean? What are you going to do? You can't decide to grow, but you can decide to know. You can decide something about whether you're going to know God. That seems to me from the Bible, that's the ultimate call of our lives is to know him. In knowing him, we will grow. We will change. We will desire things. His, the impression of who he is will get on us. We will find fresh motivations to pursue things that without knowing him, we never would have been motivated to have that. Our value systems will become adjusted. You get around God. You start loving the things of God. You start seeing what's valuable in a whole new light. You start realizing, wow, I've spent half of my life hanging around morons (laughs) who convinced me that this was the most valuable thing to have in all the life that I could possibly live. And you get around God and you realize, wow, that's really not worth all that much, but that is worth everything. Well, you know what? You can't. You can't be affected by that if you don't know that. And if you and I are living in a world that's wiring us for other information, information overload, information that will never make a difference in our lives, information that's filling up real estate and taking up mental energy and wearing us down, well, obviously, we have a real need to get some wisdom from God as to how to know God amidst a sea of information. Information is not going away. The information is finding itself, its way to you. One very disturbing study, these people at Google, mm, the people at Google are playing with artificial intelligence. They want the computer to be able to think like a human being. So they're trying to sharpen the way in which when you feed something in, they want that computer to think like you what it pulls up. And I told the other guys the other day, I'm spooked by Google because we, we transferred our stuff to Gmail. And if some of you send me a text or an email about marriage problems, all the ads around the banner of my email are about marriage. If I get a text from Sovereign Grace about leadership, there's all these ads about leadership stuff. They're reading my mail (laughs) and tailor-making things just for me, right? So these folks at Google are saying they want to figure out how to make the computer think like a person. Next, what they want to do is they want to figure out a way to link the brain to information in computers. Talking about devices that maybe could be worn behind the ear so that you wouldn't even have to type in your Google search. You could have access to the computerized land of information just by the way you think. And this is what scares me about that, because I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, right. They're not going to be able to do that. That's not what the Bible said when the Tower of Babel was being built. If you can think of it, you will probably figure out a way to do it. So what's going to happen when your brain can get access to anything you want to think about, anywhere that's ever happened? You can become a specialist in all the stats of everybody who ever did anything in any category of your life. Now, that will take brain power, and it will take time. And what will that do for discipleship? Here's why I picked that word discipleship. Because at the heart of the word disciple is the the Greek word mathetes. Mathetes means learner. To be a disciple is to be a learner. It's to know God by learning God. I am very, very concerned for the church. Because I think there's a lot of lead poisoning. And sometimes when we contemplate how can we help the church to walk effectively in this world to experience God, to go through change. And all along, since I've been a pastor in 20 years, the amount of personal study I think has done this for the last 20 years. Now, am I saying the digital age has caused that? I don't know. I'm just telling you. That's my analysis. You do with it what you need to do. But you look in your own life and you see, what are you reading? How much are you contemplating what you're reading? how much of it is about god I mean how many of you guys would say if we just hey guys we have got to be in this oh i know i mean i just don't have time did you watch the wedding in england <laughs> had a little bit of time there right I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly because there's lots of ways that i'm wasting my time lots of ways lots of ways But I want to be aware that sometimes we are living these subnormal lives and we're kind of getting poisoned by the culture that we're living in. We're not aware of why this is happening in us. So I hope today has has helped to give us some wisdom for the age in which we live. Let's, Let's stand up together. Father, as we began to wade through all this information today, Lord, I believe your desire is to invite us into your wisdom or to help us, Or certainly what was shared today doesn't reside in every heart exactly the same way. Some folks who are not involved in information in some of these ways. There are some folks who are much more involved than anything I described. But Lord, there are factors that are affecting our abilities to know you. And Lord, everything about our lives hinges on us knowing you. So, Lord, give us your spirit's discernment. Give us Holy Spirit-given words of wisdom. Give us conviction, Lord, in our lives. Perhaps we've just been dull. We've not noticed how these trends have crept into our lives. We've not sat down with a ruler and measured where we are now versus where we were 20 years ago in some places. Holy Spirit, I trust that you will take us individually where we need to go. This is not about creating rules. No one should run home and throw away all their devices. Well, they should be led by you. They should hold their lives before you. They should seek wisdom from you. And we trust, Holy Spirit, you will speak to us and you will help us and you will give us wisdom for the days are evil. Help us, God.
1: All I once held dear Build my life upon All this world reveres And wars to own All I once thought gain I have counted loss Spent and worthless now Compared to this Knowing Knowing you, you, Jesus. Jesus Knowing you No greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you Lord. Now my heart's desire. Now my heart's desire.